When we get to talk to young people, children, about coming to church, you know, you ask, what is it you're going to do at church? And they'll say something like, well, we're going to church to learn about God. Or sometimes they'll say, well, we're going to church to worship God. And the reality is we've come to do both. We've come to learn about God and we've come to worship God. And hopefully our understanding of what it means to come to worship God is far greater than the idea of just us getting together and uh, joining our voices in singing or sitting down and studying in God's Word. As we have mentioned before, the idea of the word worship, worship is a combination of two English terms. The one on the end is the suffix ship, means the idea of a state of being or a status. And so in the old English days, they would speak of someone who was the lordship, meaning that he had the status of being the lord. And with that, there were individuals of whom it would be said, they are worship individuals, individuals who were worthy of an acknowledgement of respect that is due. And when you and I take that term worth and ship and put it together, worship, what we're really saying is it's the opportunity for us to give God the respect, the glory, the praise, and the honor that he so rightfully deserves because of who he is. And in Psalm 100, we find that as we gather corporately to give worship or worship to God, it tells us there that it is to be done with a sense of overwhelming joy for the privilege that is ours to have a relationship with him and to worship him. We read in Psalm 100, it says, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. And his faithfulness is to all generations. Well, we recognize, as Jesus told us in the study we did earlier for his discussion with the woman at the well in Samaria, that God is worshipped by his people everywhere. It isn't just a certain location in which they worship. But not only is worship something that is an individual expression done in keeping with God's character and God's revelation, remember, in spirit and in truth, but we also have learned that worship is much more than something we are doing at a given period of time, be it our personal devotions in the morning or at the end of the day at home or when we gather together in an arrangement like this where with other believers we are focusing on giving God the honor that he is due. No, Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, you commit yourself to the Lord. 
which is your rational, your reasonable, the only appropriate response of worship, giving God the due that he deserves. And as Jesus had indicated, this worship done in spirit and in truth in the totality of our being has to be done in keeping with God's word. And don't be conformed to the image in which you live, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And so as we gather together to worship, we recognize that worship is really a life dedicated and devoted to pleasing and serving God, growing in his grace from his word, but we also learn that it's done corporately. Jesus made that clear to us in the gospel records where he said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, what did he say would be true? I'm in the midst of you. Now that had to do possibly with exercising discipline on someone that was discrediting the name of Christ, but the point is, is there is a special manifestation of God's presence when we corporately gather together to worship. And therefore, what should be manifested in our worship of the Lord as we corporately gather together in their Psalm 100? Back in the late 1800s, a man by the name of Albert Barnes, making comment on Psalm 100, said the following, This psalm, so beautiful, so grand, so often sung in all lands and languages, completes the group of psalms respecting the reign of God or the reasons for praise as derived from the fact that he reigns. In other words, what he was saying is that when Ezra put together the book of psalms in the pattern of which you and I find it today, there are a group of psalms in front of Psalm 100 that are known as the psalms that have to do with God's rule over his creation and in particular with God's coming rule over the inhabitants of the earth. Technically, they're called the enthronement psalms and that is Psalm 96, 97, 98, and 99 concluding with Psalm 100 which is calling upon individuals to give God the worship and the praise that he deserves because he is the supreme ruler over all. Look at the pattern that we find in those psalms. If you flip back to Psalm 96, what is, is it that we read as we open it up? It says, sing to the Lord. And notice Lord is all capital letters. It's this personal being that is the one true God. Sing to Yahweh. What? A new song. Sing to Yahweh, all the earth. Then you go to verse 1 of 97. Yahweh reigns. Let the earth rejoice and let the many islands be glad. Look at Psalm 98. What does it say there? Sing to the Lord. Sing to Yahweh. Sounds familiar to Psalm 96, doesn't it? What are you to sing to him? 
a new song, something that is vibrant and fresh. Doesn't mean you can't sing a hymn that you've sung before, but when I sing that hymn, it ought to be my hymn and not just something that someone else wrote and I am mouthing the words. It is fresh, it is vibrant, it is an expression of the feeling and emotion that I have in my heart. Sing to Yahweh a new song and why should you do that? For he has done wonderful things. And then Psalm 99 The Lord reigns, Yahweh reigns, very similar to 97. Let the peoples tremble because he is enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. And so if you and I recognize that we have the privilege of offering worship to the sovereign king of glory who rules over all, who has been kind enough to bestow on us the blessing of the forgiveness of our sins and eternal salvation, what is it that we should do? We should come into his presence to worship him. Now, what ought to be characteristic of that worship? Well, if we look at this psalm, we aren't sure of who wrote the psalm. It's not given to us. The author of it at least told us what type of psalm this would be. It is a song of thanksgiving, of rendering grateful praise or gratitude to the Lord for the bounty of his blessings. It falls into the category then of a praise psalm, and it is used to express the gratitude and thanksgiving of God's people. It seems historically like this psalm may have been written in the days of Solomon and was utilized for the dedication of the temple. And it was a time in which all of the people of Israel came together to express their gratitude and their praise to God for the rich blessing that was theirs as a unique people on the face of the earth. Why was that? No other nation. Never in the history of mankind, other than the nation of Israel, has the privilege and the right to say, Yahweh is our God. It is the Lord himself who chose them as a distinct people. And they came into his presence, you'll notice he says, with joyful shouting. They came into his presence with a service of of gladness. They came into his presence with joyful singing. And so it is a song that would be used on the occasions when the nation of Israel, three times a year, the men would come to offer their thanksgiving and their praise to God and express that gratitude to the Lord. It's a praise song. It is a song to be used with the thank offerings that the nation of Israel would present to the Lord corporately and individually. Also notice the pattern in this psalm. Just two basic verses or stanzas. Verses 1 through 3 make up the first stanza. Verses 4 and 5 make up the second stanza. And as we look at this psalm, we find that it is focusing upon Yahweh. And the two important points that are being made is first, we are to um, 
know, verse 3, that the Lord himself is what? He's God. Worship acknowledges the unique position of God himself, of the Lord. He is unique. There is no one nor nothing like him. And in the second phrase, stanza, verse 5, for the Lord is good. He's beneficial. He provides blessing to his people. So worship to be offered to God is to be done with grateful joy by the people of God because of who God is and how he daily blesses us. Come into his presence with joyful singing. So the first part of the psalm, we see a cause for praise or actually a cause for a call for grateful praise, verses one through three. And then in verses four through five, the cause for that grateful praise. Also, if we subdivide it, we find another pattern that manifests itself. As he calls us to praise, there are three imperatives. And as he tells us the cause for praise, there are three imperatives. In the first section, the imperatives are shout joyfully, serve with gladness, come before him with joyful singing. If we look at verse 4 and the three imperatives, we are to enter with thanksgiving. We are to give thanks to him. We are to bless his name. The point is, God's people are commanded to express the honor that he is due, both for who he is and for the multitude of blessings that he has given. If we just refer to one of the Psalms that I know is a favorite of so many, Written by David, Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, how is it to be done? With the totality of my being and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And if I am offering him this kind of worship that is being commanded here, he says, forget none of his benefits. Interestingly enough, the idea of offering thanks to someone means you have to engage your intellect because it is derived from the word to think. And if you never sit back and think of what it is that God has done and who he is and the privilege you have of calling him your father, you'll be short on thanksgiving. Offering him thankful, grateful praise. So in this call to praise, what is it that he tells us? Well, I hope you can see so clearly, God's people are to be a joyful people. Worship is to be an invigorating, enriching, joyful experience. 
And we are robbing God of his glory if we do it in any other fashion. Now, I am not saying we ought to have trite ways of manufacturing some false pumped-up emotion like can be done at pep rallies and other ways in which we can get a mob to join in to what is being done. But for each of us to come to worship, to come into God's presence, to have examined our heart, and to recognize the joyful emotion that is to be true of me as an object of God's favor and his grace. The first term he uses where it says shout joyfully is really coming from the idea of a army that has conquered its enemy. The battle's been won. And there is a joyful celebration of victory. These are the individuals who are the recipients of benefit and blessing having gone through the rigors of war. God's people ought to have a genuine, joyful expression of celebration. The Lord has accomplished the victory for us over death and sin, and it will rule over us no more. Shout joyfully to the Lord. He says all the earth. Again, if we're looking at the time of uh, the enthronement with the uh, kingdom established on the earth, we recognize why it is that people of other races and families will be coming to Jerusalem to worship as well. We are entering to the gates of his court to give him the glory that is due his name. But as we enter into his presence, oh boy, it's Monday. Got to go to work again. What a drudgery life is. Can't wait for the weekend. Serve the Lord with what? Gladness. If you had the strength to get up today, it's only one reason. God's given you that strength. If you have the opportunity to be in school, to study, to go to work, an occupation, a career, retirement, whatever it is. This is the day that the Lord has given. A new day has dawned. What is it to do? It's the time to sing God's song again. It is the opportunity to take some mundane, temporal thing and to recognize it has spiritual, eternal significance. Serve the Lord with gladness. God's people ought to perform in the workplace or the opportunity that they have different from all the other peoples of the earth because the other peoples of the earth are only doing it to get a paycheck, only doing it for some temporal satisfaction. God's people are now individuals that in their temporal activities are the savor of Christ, are doing what honors and pleases the Lord, to know that their activities have eternal significance. And no matter how mundane, 
how much of repetitive drudgery, no matter how hard and difficult it may be. This is what the Lord has called me to do. It is an offering I am giving to him as I serve him today. Serve the Lord with gladness. And certainly when you gather together with God's people, what is to be true? Come into his presence with joyful singing. The redeemed of the Lord know something that the people of this earth will never know and experience. Their sins and their lawless deeds are remembered against them no more. We have a great and wonderful Savior who has done what is essential for our acceptance with God. And to know that he will never remember my sins against me, to know that he is moving in my daily life, no matter how difficult a circumstance may be, to work it together for my good as he conforms me to the image of Christ, to know that he has given me the blessed hope that I will never be the recipient of his wrath, but to enter into the joy of the kingdom that was promised before the foundation of the world, to know that I will forever be in his presence and no one or nothing can ever separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus the Lord. You can be quiet, but I'm going to say hallelujah. What a blessing we have in Jesus Christ. Come into his presence with joyful singing. You know, if you're an Eeyore, you're going to be alone at the throne of Christ. Because in God's presence is the fullness of what? Joy. And God's people are commanded to rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. So often we have some false form of spirituality that we want to impress people with how hard it is in our experience instead of commending the Lord by saying, I might be going through times of difficulty, but the Lord is my shepherd and I never want I might be going through times of hardship and burden, but the Lord is the one that fills my cup each day. And I have the privilege of being called a child of the king, and I will be with him forever. And this kind of joyful worship is based on knowledge, isn't it? Know what? Yahweh himself and only he is God. He's the one that has made us. Now we can look at him as the creator and obviously as creatures, we ought to be the ones that give him the honor as providing us with existence and life and all things. But this is looking more at the reality of covenant. The Lord is the one that has made us and not we ourselves. We are what? His people. It is his covenant work founded on Jesus Christ that gives us the privilege of being called the people of God. 
It was true of the nation of Israel. It didn't exist as a distinct entity. It will not continue as a distinct entity of anything about themselves. It is God's sovereign good pleasure to set them apart and preserve them until the return of Jesus Christ. And in the same thing, if you are a member of the church today, you know what Paul says to you? Consider your own calling, brethren. There's not many intellects, not many wise among you. There's not many strong and mighty. There's not many who have a place of uh, prominence because God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the wise. He's chosen the uh, despised things of the world to confound the things that are. It is by his doing that you were in Christ Jesus that no one should ever boast before God. Know that Yahweh, the Lord, is God. He's unique and there's no one like him. He's the one that has constituted us as members of the body of Christ. He has made us, not we ourselves. And because of his work, we are his people. He's given us the privilege of having his name identified to us. And he's going to take care of us, isn't he? Because we are the sheep of his pasture. God is not the heavenly father of all human beings. He is the heavenly father of those who are in Jesus Christ. He has given you the right the privilege, the authority to be called a child of God by his doing. So he goes back and says, when you come into the presence of this great king who has so graciously blessed you in so many ways, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Gratitude that even though I was a child of wrath, even as the rest, even though I was dead in transgressions and sin, even though I was a pawn in the hand of Satan and I walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the God who is rich in mercy, when I was dead, you know what he did? He made me alive. God has done this work. And when I come into his presence, there ought to be joyful thanksgiving and gratitude and praise that I offer to him. I come into his presence giving thanks to him, blessing his name. I can't contribute something to him that will better him but I can enhance his reputation and that's what it means for me to bless him, to bless his name. I cause others to stand back in wonder of just how great is my God. To know that the Lord is unique. I acknowledge it. I confess it. And I bring him honor by enhancing his reputation by saying, look at my God. Look at what he's done for me. Look at the blessings of his grace that flow each day. And as I do so, it is for me to remember Yahweh is what? The Lord is good. 
No wonder David said in the Psalms, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed, how uniquely enriched and benefited are all who take refuge in him. This God who is characterized by goodness, whose character has no flaw or defect, in whom there is no darkness or uh, evil, malicious, maliciousness in all that he does, is the one whose loving kindness, his chesed, his covenant faithfulness is what? Everlasting. And what is true is this faithfulness of God remaining constant in fulfilling the promises that he's made goes on generation after generation after generation after generation after generation. He didn't exhaust his faithfulness with David. He didn't exhaust it with Paul and Peter in the early church. And he isn't exhausting it today. And what the people of God will experience into the ages forevermore is our God is faithful. He always does what he will say. Now, what is it we should take away from this psalm? I think there's a few things that we ought to recognize. The first is there's only one God, and that God is Yahweh. And he is not the God of the uh, various religions of the earth. Those are the fabrication of human imagination. And even our blessed Savior made it very clear, with this one God, there's only one way to come to him. For Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Doesn't matter how sincere someone is. Doesn't matter how religious someone is. Doesn't matter how well-intended their uh, ideas are. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If I am going to come into his presence, if I am going to be accepted to him, this one true God has established the only way that I have access to him, and that is through Jesus Christ, the Lord. It's to recognize that he is the supreme sovereign. He rules over all. As the psalmist kept building up, building up in 96 through 99, we are to shout joyfully because the Lord rules. We are to acknowledge that he is the one who is accomplishing his purpose. And as we come to worship, we are expressing gratitude for the fact that this world is not out of control. Our God has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. And as he is working in the affairs of everyday life, you know what else he's doing? Well, today he's building his church and he's calling individuals out of every race and kindred and tribe and family on the earth to fill up the body of Christ. He is the supreme sovereign. He is the savior. God has made us, not we ourselves. We're his people as the work of his hands. 
And as one of his people, we can understand the reality that I shall not want. We are the sheep of his pasture. To know that God ensures that nothing apart from his good pleasure ever happens to any one of his children. And to recognize that even if he takes away as well as he gives, Job rightly understood the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. As one of the sheep in his pasture, he guides me, directs me, feeds me, and cares for me for all that is my well-being. So did you come to worship today? Did you come into his presence with a heart filled with exuberant celebration? God has accomplished the victory. I serve a risen Savior. My sins will be remembered against me no more. And I have the privilege of joining with God's people, not only in this congregation, but who are doing it throughout the world, of celebrating the fact that the Lord our God rules and he has given us the blessing of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And the worship that we are expressing now is just the beginning of the worship that will be given to him forevermore. Jesus said, the Father is seeking individuals to be his worshipers. And those who worship him have to worship in spirit and in truth. It has to be in keeping with his character. Those that offer him worship when we gather together corporately have to be individuals that recognize, hey, you know where it all begins? Lord, here I am, use me to give myself as a living sacrifice to him. And those that worship him come into his presence where two or three are gathered. They come into the presence of the great king with awe that this one who has called all things into existence, who is ruling over all the affairs of the world today, is the one who has been pleased to call me by name and give me the privilege of being one of his children. Shout joyfully to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with joyful singing. Brother and sister in Christ, we are so blessed. And there is no greater privilege than giving God the honor, the praise, the heartfelt joyous gratitude that he deserves Because he is God and he is good. Let's pray. I thank you so much for the rich blessings you pour out on your children each day. I thank you that you didn't spare your own son. But you took what was most precious to you. And you made him an offering for sin so that not any one of your children will ever perish, but are accepted in the beloved, clothed in his righteousness, and will enjoy one another and your presence forevermore. 
Father, forgive us for where we've been complacent in our worship. Where we have looked on Sunday morning is just an obligation to come rather than with eager anticipation to recognize it's the time to come into your presence to sing your song again and to give you the praise that you so rightfully deserve. Through Jesus Christ our Lord in whose name we pray, amen.